Welcome to AgTech360, where we take a 360-degree view into emerging agriculture technologies that matter with our host, Adrian Percy. So this is Adrian Percy, and I'm here with Chad Brommer. Chad is Chief Technology Officer of a company called Hup Bioside Solutions, Inc. Welcome, Chad. Well, thank you. And it's great to have you on the on the pod and to talk a little bit more about herbicides. I think um, there's a general recognition that new herbicides are essential for the success of modern agriculture in many parts of the world over many crops, including here in North America. And I've seen some amazing situations, for instance, in places like the Mid-South, places like Arkansas, where Palmer amaranth is running riot and cotton fields are overrun with it and people are going back to hand weeding. So new herbicides are always a good thing, especially with resistance in the market, with regulatory constraints that we see over many herbicides and with the fact that we haven't seen a new herbicide mode of action for many years, or perhaps we have with your product. So tell us a little bit about HARP and the technology that you have. From a grower side, from an industry side, I think there is a reliance for a generation almost on a chemical solution, a herbicidal solution for weed problems. And the companies globally had done an amazing job finding molecules, uh, synthesizing ones, deploying them globally in corn, soy, cotton, rice, and especially here in North Carolina with all the different crops that are put out. And, you know, it seemed like there was a fear in the early to mid-90s that we were going to run out of chemistry. And we didn't really run out. We just, biology kind of got in the way of chemistry (laughs) in terms of finding some new molecules, new sites and modes of action, like you mentioned. So with HARP, what we've done over the last couple of years is really dug into natural products, things that come from plant extracts. Our products are based, although not completely generated, from mentha species or mint plants. So we've taken those extracts and we've been able to utilize those for what we're looking at as new sites and new modes of action that haven't previously been in the marketplace as a way of disrupting not just herbicide resistance that we're seeing, but also in a way that we've been able to pair our products with other herbicides and get higher levels of control than would be expected. And that's, you know, from our our perspective, it wasn't just going and trying to find something, but finding a new site and mode of action is a very tall task. That wasn't necessarily how we, we wanted to start, but as we continue to investigate in the basic science and biology and chemistry, kept getting put together, we realized that not only could we develop a highly effective, cost-effective and effective product for weed control, that it was also in a new stage, in a new era of sites and modes of action that to our knowledge had not really ever been investigated. That's fascinating. Let's dig a little deeper. First, I'm curious, though, you talk about bioherbicide, so biologically based or biologically inspired herbicide from mint extract. When I think of biological crop control products, I think automatically of fungicides, microbes, extracts to control different types of diseases. I think of mating disruption within insects, but not so much on the herbicide front. Are there other biological herbicides out there you're aware of, or are you in a fairly unique category? There are some other biological herbicides that are out there that are microbial based. And when people use the term, you know, biological control, my impression of that from my personal definition is they're defaulting into microbial things that can either attack bacteria, fungi, insects, as you mentioned, so that the grand biochemical arms race, that the organisms out there are evolving in microevolution or macroevolution in order to make things to keep the other things away or to establish their niche wherever they live. From the herbicide standpoint, it's been a little more
more difficult. And I think there's various reasons for that. I mean, there are a few biological, bacterial, fungal-based things that people are working on or, or have been deployed. It just doesn't seem like they've been either developed or they're just not quite as effective. And we have a very high standard in weed science for herbicidal weed control, and that's something like glyphosate or glufosinate or the imidazolinones and sulfonylureas that are low use rates, highly effective. We know exactly how long they last in the environment. They're easy to put through our equipment to spray or to apply you know, other means or mechanisms. So it's a high standard. And, and I think you've, you're a little more in that zone for uh, pathogens than I am. <laughs> but, it, but it certainly seems like from the biological control side, that is one of the challenges that has taken place for fungal control and bacterial control with biological-based products. So I'm curious, the fact that you are biologically based, what does that mean for you as a company, as a technology provider in terms of the regulatory compatibility with, say, organic farming and also on the sourcing and production side? Because this mint has to come from somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, how, how is that going to work? Well, for the series of different extracts and molecules that all come from nature that we use in the products, you know, we were challenged from the beginning to make sure that we could bring something that would be market effective. And maybe it's a good time to kind of make a a generalized statement about innovation and, and what it means in terms of a product. There's lots and lots of great ideas out there. Just past Thanksgiving, not too long ago, I'm sure most people sat around and there were several good ideas that were had over the, the dinner table or lunch or coffee or what have you. But in order for an idea to become a business solution, it has to go through a series of steps. You know, for us in the beginning, we knew we had some ideas in the basket. We knew they were going to be viable, but we had to make sure they could be patent protected or protected in a certain way that we could monetize it because this is a business. We had to make Make sure that the cost of goods and the sourcing was such that a company, say like BASF, Bayer, Corteva, FMC, could actually take the product and deploy it, not just without in North Carolina, but globally. So a global supply chain. And then ensuring that as we continue to develop the product, that the cost of goods were such that someone could afford to use it and continue to make money in their row crops, horticulture, you know, home use, all those things. And the real sort of summary around all of that is that a business solution is several levels away from just great ideas. And you've got to have a whole team. The idea only takes you so far. The idea is fun and it's a parlor game to talk about it. I've heard this great phrase, you know, what separates an idea from an innovation. And that's essentially what you're talking. Yeah. And it's, at least I certainly wanted to make sure that if we found something and we did that was going to be effective and it is and the cost of goods are very close, if not right at what the other herbicidal products in the market are now, went across the globe to find ways to source our products. Spent oh, a year just doing that, you know, putting some great people that used to be in the supply chain business uh, work with us in order to develop not just that, but the manufacturing side and how it's all going to work. And it all just kind of came together as, okay, we now have things that are usable in the current system of spraying and applying technology that are out there. The cost of goods is right in line with the other products in the market. And that's where you, you, you really start to have your demarcation point. Then you start to think about all the different ways that it could be utilized across all different cropping systems. And we have research now in North America, South America, the UK and, and Europe, maybe expanding to a few other zones this coming year. And that's where you can get in and, and really challenge to make sure it's going to work everywhere. To go back I'll just a, one small step to the, the question of why aren't there more biological herbicides or biological control products in the market? I think that's a key point is it has to work almost everywhere or it's not really a, a global solution. That being said, if we could develop a solution, it would be key for farmers in eastern North Carolina. That doesn't mean we wouldn't do it. It just makes it harder when you're building a small company to put the numbers together to say we can do this and survive as a company. Because from a business standpoint, if you can't function and survive, you're more of a charity. And that's not how it works in agriculture, although it feels like it sometimes. 
<laughs> and sure, and, and it's great to, to hear you've got the cost of goods and the sourcing yeah. sorted out. I mean, my experience with some other plant extracts is it can be tough on that side to really do that economically viably. can also sometimes with certain types of crops, like I'm familiar with seaweed, for instance, you know, there is a finite resource and there are others in the you know, adjacent sectors who are very interested in sourcing that and that puts prices up and so on and so forth. What about the regulatory situation and also compatibility with organic? So you can kind of put heart bioherbicide and or bioherbicide solutions because what we developed was not a singular product, but a platform. Right now, I think we've got 27 or 28 different unique formulations. So one pillar in the platform is the completely natural organic side where the products can be certified through OMRI, through USDA as organic. This is also, as they're certified through organic, they don't have to necessarily go through EPA. You know, found products that are, from a toxicological standpoint, environmental fate standpoint, they're generally regarded as safe. And that was one of our core goals in the beginning. Let's deploy something where we don't have to be concerned versus new chemistry, how to get through the regulatory process. From that side, you know, we have those products that we could deploy now, you know, whether it be for home use, vegetation management for horticulture, for row crops. We basically go down about two miles from here to the state house and file the paperwork with the Department of Agriculture and we can begin to sell. So that's extremely exciting because that takes away the, could be three to five years of regulatory process. The other side of that pillar, other than the organic, is the conventional side. Now we can sell the organic products in the conventional market because they're just as effective as a conventional product. From the conventional side, it allows us to also source things slightly differently. We can synthesize some of these molecules to help boost the supply chain. So you mentioned the commodity side of seaweed. So we took that into account in the beginning. And what we managed to do is put together a multi-source model, one that, uh, again, BASF, Bayer, Corteva, FMC groups would be able to look at and say, okay, we understand this. This is how we would source some chemistry because they're the molecules that come from the extracts. So they're still considered biomolecules or natural. From that conventional side, that would still go through the regulatory agencies, but the pathway is much easier faster. And so it allows us to put that platform together of, let's say, a pre-plant burndown product with glyphosate or Roundup and HARP, which kills all of the glyphosate-resistant weeds that glyphosate can't kill. And in the field next to it, we have HARP Organic that's taking care of all the weeds as well. It's an exciting thing to think about. It's challenging when we explain it because it's not a product. When we think about these extracts, we've got probably a dozen different ones that we can use on the organic side, but it also means we have a basket of, of highly effective molecules that we can weave into a conventional product that can be used in corn, in soy, in cotton, peanuts, etc. So let's talk a little bit about use in broad acre crops. As we know, many of the broad acre herbicides, the non-selective herbicides at least, are being applied to herbicide tolerant crops where transgenic events have been introduced into corn and soy and cotton and other crops to make them tolerant to those herbicides. Is that something that you feel is a path forward for harp as well? We've been working with Solus AgriScience from St. Louis to help us. We discover the traits, the genes, and build some of these pathways for how we can increase crop tolerance to our products. And Solus just finished transforming a series of plants and testing them for us. So that's the sort of the transgenic side, if we can use that term. We also have a CRISPR platform that we're going to integrate with that. So again, we're trying to think not just, can we do this? And the answer is yes. And is it going to work? Yeah, it's working. Then the next phase of that is, all right, well, what about Europe? What about countries that don't want that? We're trying to think ahead. So, you know, our products, you, know, you think something that's natural, that would have a fast track in the EU, which is a very big deal. It would be great to have something that through CRISPR transformation, we can also have the crop more tolerant. And so we're working on that path as well. 
from my layman's perspective on this, I'm also wondering, you know, as you said earlier, these are extracts with multiple different active chemicals in them, I assume. Does that make it more challenging then to find a transgenic or a gene edited tolerant crop, row crop, or have you not encountered that challenge as yet? It wasn't easy, <laughs> but it's a puzzle. So you think about what does the product do and how do we categorize or characterize what the extracts and the molecules and the formulations do to a weed, then what are they going to do to a crop? And you start to you know, get the whiteboard out and strip back from a biochemistry standpoint and from a molecular biology standpoint, where are some ways that we could mitigate whatever the damage is or ways to keep the product from impacting a crop such that yield is reduced. And so over a series of a couple of years and a lot of iterations, you know, there were things that were out there that became very apparent that we could utilize them. They had not been looked at before. They had not really been investigated in this capacity. So we we had that sort of freedom to operate in the space. Although we could do that internally, build out the team to do it was going to be quite difficult. And it's the story of a startup. You need to focus. Yeah. (laughs) Someone that we know says that to us every time we have a call. I have to say congratulations because, you you know, all these different kind of moving parts, you really tried to design near as you can to getting the perfect herbicide, which I think everyone is. Yeah, let's not say perfect. (laughs) We've got a lot of work. Near as you can. Um, and, you know, when I look at the landscape, and we said at the start how, you know, there's such a great demand, but there is a lot of effort going on by some of the companies that you mentioned, the Bayers, the BSFs, and so on and so forth. First of all, for them internally to try to find these new solutions, then I guess to scout the market. I know you can't talk about individual companies, but can you give us a sense of how prolific is all these activities that are going on at these big companies to look for new herbicides? Do they continue to really make this a very, very high priority for them? So from the standard, I say standard, you know, the time-tested and true methodology of chemists synthesizing hundreds of thousands of different analogs looking for a molecule that can impact an enzyme or a physiological pathway in a plant. To my understanding, I think every company continues to work very hard with an extremely intelligent and and creative staff to find new molecules, new sites of action. I know there was a commentary that Bayer had put out, maybe it was a year ago in one of their stock reports, that they had fully integrated their farm-up discovery platform with their crop protection platform as a way of two different perspectives in developing effective molecules for human health as well as for crop protection. To my knowledge, all that is going on. From the biological side, synthesizing molecules and building a team to do that and analogs and the testing, the platform is expensive. It's very large, very ornate, and it takes a really large, dedicated team. When you start to look at biological things, and let's just use the bacteria example, you're going to go look at a bacteria and see if it will help in crop protection. You can't just look at one. You're going to look at thousands. And now you're talking about, I've got to grow the bacteria, make sure it's separate and pure, and then integrate it into a screening or a testing program to see if it's going to work. And then try to figure out if it does work, is there a molecule in there or how does it work? It takes a completely different group to do that. It's not that the screening program that they have won't work. It will, but it's not a copy paste. We have had, at least I have had, anecdotal conversations with a series of people from just about every major company that we've got great platforms. We're looking as hard as we ever have. We've got great teams. That's not kind of what we do. We don't look at biologicals. And I think that's why you see there's several companies in this area that are focused on microbial-based solutions, biocontrol solutions, and they had to put together unique teams to do it. It's kind of exciting to see the similarities and differences between the teams because they're all looking for the same outcome. And of course, you can speak with authority because you were part of one of those companies at one point. You yes, have a BSF yes. legacy. I was right? very fortunate to work at BASF for several years and worked 
in herbicides and also did some work in technical service. And yeah, we're sitting in the plant sciences at North Carolina State University. And, you know, there's some amazing teams of researchers here and an extension agent. But the company side and how you put teams together, laser focused on goals and development. It was really mind blowing when I started. I'm so fortunate to have been there and learned so much from so many people about how to make products and how to make great products. So let's talk a little bit about your journey as an innovator. I think of you as an inventor because we've known each other for some time. And one of the things that I recall you telling me is that you try to start with the problem and then identify a solution rather than how some groups do it. They have a technology and then look for a problem. So can you just tell us how you make that switch from working in a big company environment to setting up on your own and some of the things you have been working on in the meantime? It's sort of like going to the university and getting your degree or degrees and you work with faculty and you work with other students and technicians and you learn a lot of things and you learn some ways to do things. And then you go out on your own and you realize you've got this great foundation, but you have to continue to learn and continue to bring people around that can help challenge you and help you learn. And I think that's the core of, you know, you go from working in a very well-funded, established, hierarchical structure in a company because it has to be that way to the research and development into a little bit of the, it's me, I think you had mentioned. Yes, about my what, blender. <laughs> my yeah, what I recall t- talking to Chad once, and uh, he was very excited because he could move. I think from his kitchen to his garage, and his wife was even more excited because he would no longer be using her blender to mix up some chemical solutions that she wasn't sure of the origin of. It's that grand challenge. Before, if I needed a thing, and it was a technical question, and I'll just use the formulations example because we're talking about my blender and making formulations. There was a team of people in the U.S. and globally that I could talk to, and they were. We're experts. I would say, could we do this or could we do that? Or do you have something for me to test? And when you're on your own and you're starting out, you don't have that. So we were very fortunate. We work with CJB Industries now in Valdosta, Georgia. That was the, the transition away from my blender to some experts that can help that we work collaboratively to build everything. I think it goes again, right back to the question of entrepreneurship and building something. How do you make that transition is you do as much as you can and you end up wearing a lot of different hats, but then you do everything you can to seek out experts and other people that are great in, in the business side and the marketing side and the sales regulatory. And I know you've, you've seen the team that we've built up at Heart Bioherbicide, just fantastic people, experts in their field that have 30 year plus years in some cases. And they just, they add incredible amounts of value because I can't learn how to be a formulation chemist. I tried. It worked okay. Or, you know, even from the regulatory side, I've done a lot of regulatory things, but to go through those steps and machinations, you just have to have people that understand the lexicon of regulatory and how you structure things, what you say and don't say and how to take your steps forward. I just don't think you can be successful in this type of endeavor without having those experts around. Great words, Chad. A big thank you to yourself, but also lots of luck with Harp and hope you're successful with what you're trying to achieve. We all need those new herbicides, so thank you. We're close, closer and closer to the market. Thanks. AgTech 360 is a product of North Carolina State University, the Center of Excellence for Regulatory Science in Agriculture, or SIRSA, the North Carolina Plant Sciences Initiative, and the Southern IPM Center. This episode was produced by Kayla Pack Watson with host Adrian Percy. With AgTech 360, we take a 360 degree view into emerging agriculture technologies that matter. Thanks for listening.